2: I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir?
0: I am England, I am Iran, I am Senegal, I am Netherlands, I am USA, I am Wales, and most of all, I am Ecuador.
2: (laughs) Yes, so we've had one game in this World Cup, but I think what everybody wants to know, Carl, is what did you make of the opening ceremony of the World Cup?
0: Absolutely nothing of note, Dave. What did you make of it?
2: I thought it was garbage, to be honest. It was nice and quick. It was nice and quick. And that's, that's all I really want for an opening ceremony. I I think unless you're Italy or America, you're probably not catching my attention. Um, because you're just not going to do it right. Uh, but that is my own, uh, Western bias and nothing more Mm -hmm. than that. So congrats to Ecuador, at least, or to Ecuador on their win. Ecuador defeated Qatar 2-0. Two goals from Ener Valencia, who might just be a little bit of a dark horse for that golden boot, having gotten off to a good start. He scored a penalty on 16 minutes that he had won himself, and then a brilliant header on 31 minutes. There was a little bit of controversy in the game. Carlos Ecuador had what looked to be a perfectly good goal ruled out due to offside. But isn't this the the automated offside? So probably it's probably the right decision because it's hard to go against technology. Qatar did have a couple of chances. Uh, Montari missed an unbelievably good headed chance but all things considered, I think Ecuador were comfortably the better team. Uh,
0: if there had been any danger at all of Qatar getting back into that game with basically they had two headed chances, didn't they? Ali had one in the, at the end of the first half, and then there was the Montari one second half. I think if either of them go in, Ecuador actually start playing football again. They were miles and miles and miles above Qatar's level. It took about six minutes to see the absolute gulf between these nations, and yeah. Ecuador are not. You know, one of the top three nations in South America, let's be honest. So <sighs> Qatar were a lot worse than I would expect them to be. Yeah. Organizationally, you know, is one thing and it was OK for a bit. There, there started to be gaps opening up once they started chasing it a little bit. But from a technical perspective, they were way, way, way below the level I was expecting them to be. All I could keep thinking during this first half is this looks like kids who grew up playing football against men who
2: learned to play football. Yes, Yes, it looks like that's exactly, that's exactly the point. Um, I saw a couple of cases being made yesterday that Qatar are the worst host nation in terms of their football playing ability. And I I think it's a a very fair case to make. I, I wouldn't imagine if we go back through history that there has been a worse national team representing the host nation. Um, not to disparage them because. There is some good players in that team. And like you said, we did expect them to be better. They've been good over the last couple of years. They won the Asian Cup. They didn't get embarrassed in, by, in any way when they played in the Cup of the America. They did quite well when they played in the Gold Cup, in the CONCACAF Gold Cup. So they are better than what they showed. And it wouldn't be a surprise if they gave Senegal a tough game. But... Ecuador were comfortably the better team and I, I did think even against limited opposition, I thought the players that we expected to stand out like Caicedo really did stand out. He looked very, very good.
0: Yeah, I would also probably pick out Gonzalo Blad. as one you highlighted um, pre-game mm. as well. I thought he was the best player on the park, to be honest. Um, technique and the change of direction that he had, his first touch, really, really good at driving into space. Uh, quite a lot of their chances came from his link up with Bresciano down the right-hand side. I think that, you know, Qatar is like, it's not Qatar's players' fault that they are the worst nation, let's say, to, or host nation to have played a game at the World Cup. They wouldn't have qualified for this World Cup, I don't think. But um, it's not the players' fault, but the players need to produce a little bit better than they did, certainly in terms of build up between the middle and final thirds. They were okay some of the time when Ecuador didn't need to pressure them because they were already 2 0 up, but then they didn't really get people into good areas or the rest of it. Um, The most annoying thing for me, apart from, Uh, The on-pitch stuff was, uh, I think we've not started strongly in terms of co-commentator watch. I don't think yesterday's um, combination was the greatest one we'll see, or hear rather, during the World Cup. That was a bit disappointing for me. Um, And also the pronunciation of some of the Ecuador's players' names left an awful lot to be desired. Let's work on that, commentators.
2: Well, I'm, I'm not one to say anything about anybody else's pronunciation of you're, players. You're not commentating there. live on TV. No, that's true. That's true. I haven't been called up for that yet. And if, it, if the time ever comes, I will be prepared. Um, what did you make of the fact that the, there was quite a lot of empty seats to begin the game. And then by the se- second half, the stadium looked like it was about two thirds empty. Yeah, I
0: mean, I think start of the second half is the notable one. I mean, first half, I don't know why you'd be late to the opening game of World Cup, but let's assume that some people couldn't get there. The tra- traffic was, was supposedly quite bad around the stadium and everything, the access was not the best. But start of the second half, you could see people just gone. They'd left. Um, So not not ideal, not ideal for the host nation. And There was a lot of suggestion that the cameras were purposely not showing the empty seats, which is rubbish, because the only time you can really see any of the seats was like for dead balls, behind the goals when it was a goal kick, that kind of thing. That was the only real time. The angle didn't really allow it. If you would have been watching the seats, you wouldn't have been mm. seen half of the pitch. So that's nonsense, I think. But yes, you could clearly see in the thousands had, had departed at half time or just after. Uh, so not the strongest start. We'll, we'll see today how when there are game after game after game, and obviously some stadiums are then going to be hosting two games in two days, that kind of thing. I think then we'll start to see from today how the actual uh, attendance is looking.
2: Yeah, I will say credit to Qatar the stadium itself is spectacular. Um the Al stadium it is absolutely spectacular. One of the complaints I saw from somebody who was at the game was that the temperature was very very cold that the air conditioning set up in the stadium was had the temperature well below what would have been optimal for the crowd.
0: Yeah, Both, but they did you're balancing
2: this. it by what's optimal for the players.
0: Yeah, they did They did pretty much
2: state that that was going to be the case and not
0: to come in T-shirt because you will be cold, especially in the front few rows. I think that's the most mm. um, most affected by it because people were complaining that it was going to be too hot for the players. Otherwise, we can't have both, obviously. it's a There's not an invisible wall that goes around the perimeter of the pitch,
2: so you're going to be at pitch side temperature and conditions, I'm afraid. Yeah, and that's just how it is. We have two games today. Uh England take on Iran and the United States take on Wales. Uh Before I get into those, Carol, we've had news this morning that six countries who are planning to wear the One Love armband have all now said that they will not, having been told by FIFA that the captains wearing those armbands would be booked for doing so. Uh Chris Williams, who AI listeners will know, Uh, He has he's a a referee and he's gone through the rules and tried to find where this rule would be. And he couldn't find it. But Daniel G, who's football law on social media, he found rule 4.6, which said that they would be asked to leave the pitch because they'd be wearing what is termed as offensive items. And then if they didn't, they would be booked for that. So it seems like that's the case. FIFA have come out and said, oh, we'll try and have it in place so they can wear them from the quarterfinals. But what was a small gesture is now becoming an empty gesture.
0: I mean, it goes, I think, to show the levels and depth that they're prepared to go to to not go against the host nation's wishes on everything, really, doesn't it? I mean, we had a bit of a discussion on the beer yesterday before the kickoff. And that was obviously one thing which had changed several times across the, the build-up to the World Cup. Um, now, obviously, this again. I don't think that there has been anybody has complained or anybody has really made a big thing about it. I think there were a few headlines before England Hungary, if I remember rightly, um, when they were wearing the, the One Love Armbands over in Hungary. But apart from that, there hadn't really been too much and certainly nothing to the extent of we're going to do everything possible to, not allow this to be the case i mean i don't know let's say we had the the theoretical situation that a player had decided to get this tattooed onto their arm what's the story yeah. there are they going to remove that are they going to make him cover it up is it something that doesn't count as something a player is being worn uh where is the line drawn here if they get rainbow covered uh, sorry rainbow colored uh kinesic tape to go across the the leg muscles and that that they wear sometimes we see them with pink and blue and that kind of thing if they get rainbow colored ones of that is that now going to be not allowed where do you draw a line of this it's it's in danger of becoming the discussion or the argument about it bigger than what it was supposed to be in the first
2: place and that's absolutely not the whole point of all of this exactly exactly the the world cup is in danger of becoming you know the plaything of the ruling nation and the the host nation and that's just not right. Um I did of course misspeak earlier. We have three games today, not two. We have Senegal, Netherlands as well. So let's jump into those. The first of which is England versus Iran. So England obviously everybody has some high expectations for having finished as winners of Group I in the UEFA qualifying phase will take on Iran who were winners of Group A in the uh, in the Asian qualifying phase. England are heavily favoured to win this game, Carl. There is a leaked team or a suggested team that's come out in the mail, which is Pickford, Trippier, Stones, Maguire, Shaw, Bellingham, Rice, Mount, Saka, Kane, Sterling. Now that... For a Gareth Southgate team, is quite attack-minded. I think it's a midfield that a lot of people will have wanted to see. I'm not sure it's the most balanced midfield in the world, but it's a midfield people wanted to see. It's a front three that should be very, very exciting. The question marks, of course, lie in the centre of defence. John Stones is not a first-choice centre-back for Manchester City. You could argue that this season he's arguably their fifth-choice centre-back. And Harry Maguire can't get in the Manchester United team and has been largely dreadful for about two and a half years now. So (laughs) that is the biggest issue for this England team is that centre of defence. But that team itself does seem like something that should be quite exciting to watch going forward. Yeah, in fairness, I wouldn't mind the 11 maybe arranged slightly differently.
0: I I think Mount is best as a 10, not as an 8, not as a wide forward, not anywhere else, just as a 10. Let him roam by all means and have the setup behind him and have Rice in a double pivot because that's where he's best, not as a, so, a solo 6. Uh, allow Bellingham, obviously, some freedom. He's going to get that in the role that he's got now. But again, you would assume that that's going to be a little bit more restrained than Mason Mount, perhaps. Um I, I have no massive issue with it. I did think England were going to line up with a three um, mm. to to start, to be fair, but that's fine. 4-3-3, three, three, I think, is, is not going to cause them any issues in and of itself. Saka over Foden is my only surprise here. I thought Foden was going to start because he'd been in very, very good form and Saka didn't start the season well, but he has definitely got a lot better over the last two months or so. I think the big thing that Saka gives you over Foden is runs in behind. So if you're going to have a 4-3-3 with Kane, is going to be dropping a little bit deeper, you've got to have at least one, if not both of the wide forwards, uh, happy to make those runs in behind the defence, in above the striker, make sure that England do have an out ball, because some of the time when it has been Foden, and even Grealish on the other side, everybody comes short, everybody goes to the ball. It's all in front of the defence. It's really yeah. easy to
2: defend against. Yeah, they all want ball to feet. I think mount is, is, could be an excellent eight with say Rice and Phillips as the other two, you know, almost like a midfield setup like we have where we have that the two who are more conservative and, and hold more, like when we had Fabinho and Ginny. And then that other eight is like the role Henderson used to play where you get forward a lot more. It's more of an attacking role, but I do agree. I think he's better as a 10. I would have liked to have seen the Bellingham Rice double pivot with Saka right wing, Foden left wing and then Sterling through the middle with Kane. And I thought that would have gotten England all of their best attackers on the pitch and all of their in-form attackers because Mason Mount has not been in good form this season. But as we've seen before with England, form isn't particularly part of what Gareth Southgate considers when he picks the team. What do you make of Iran? Now, we'll know a couple of the players. We know Mehdi Taremi, who's been tremendous for Porto. We know Sardar Osman, who's at Bayer Leverkusen now and has been knocking around European football for quite a while. Yohan Bakash of uh, Feyenoord Fion- Fion- now, formerly of Brighton, another player who will be familiar to most. And Saman Godos, the central midfielder from Brentford, they're probably the ones that everybody will be aware of. What do you think of this team as a whole though
0: um pretty well set up to be honest, very difficult to break down. They should be very strong i think in um in terms of frustrating England, matching the runs which are going short and deep. They'll probably pack out that central zone. I would expect a four three three to four five one system set up for them. as Moon, I don't think it's going to start, which is definitely a big loss for them um My assumption would be that they put Mehdi through the middle instead of out wide and bring in somebody else as like a a, a flank bolsterer, let's say. Um, otherwise, it would have been probably, let's say, Bakash Turemi and Azmoun all up front, which gives you a really good transitional threat, counter-attack and threat, even offset pieces. All three of them can be a threat uh, in, in different ways. So I, I, I quite like the setup to, of them, to be fair. I do think that they're a, a difficult side to play through most of the time open day of the world cup anything can happen they can be massively pumped up and go out there and be a lot more attack minded than they are at the start or they could freeze under pressure we've seen that from teams as well so interested to see how they do set up i would expect them to be conservative in the first game and you know try and keep themselves basically in contention to go through mm. in the last two matches but we will see they 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 are very they can be a very aggressive side they've got a lot of experience in the squad as well so i don't think that they're going to be like Massively cowed by the face, the fact they're facing
2: Kane and Sterling and Saka. No, I don't either. So the this is sort of a free hit for Iran, really, because where they'll be looking to get their points is against the Welsh and against the Americans. Anything I gotten don't here? do lose by more than two, really. Yeah, but anything if they could get if they get a point here. Oh, absolutely. That's no, a massive yeah, bonus.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely think that they'll be trying to get a draw. No question. But if they do go behind, it's a, not a case of chase the game. It's shut up and don't lose by more than two. That's like the bare minimum here. In,
2: yeah, in the bring, bring the buses out and, and just, you know, don't get opened up consistently. Uh, prediction for the game?
0: I will go for an England win. I think if it is that lineup it's probably a signal of uh, intent to attack. So I'll go for... I'll go for a 2-1. I can see, you know, this defence, the players who have and have not been playing, there's a defensive error there to be made at some stage in the World Cup. You can just call him Harry Maguire. You don't have to call him a
2: defensive <laughs> error.
0: But that's, that's the thing. I don't necessarily think it will be Maguire. I mean, especially against Iran, I think most of their attacking threat, let's say, is going to come off set piece deliveries, crosses from wide. Maguire is probably best set out of all of them to defend it. Mm. You, don't, you don't want Pickford coming for those. Uh, deliveries if they're decent into the area so I think he's more likely to make a mistake in this game than Maguire you know it can yeah. always be Maguire on the turn or something like that, that you can't know, legislate for every single thing that Maguire can or cannot do but I do think that there's defensive errors in this side so I'll go 2-1 to him
2: yeah I think that's a fair chat I'll go 2-1 as well well I am um, going 3-1 I'm not going the same as you on England alright you can go 3-1 I'll go 2-1 I'd love a draw a draw is the ideal for me here uh, the second game of today then sees Senegal taking on the Netherlands. Senegal finished, uh, came through the African knockout phase by beating Egypt. The Netherlands topped Group G of UEFA's qualifying phase. Both of these teams are missing former Liverpool greats. Ginny Wijnaldum obviously broke his leg for Roma and unfortunately will miss this World Cup, which is a heartbreaker. But even more heartbreaking was Sadio Mane, who gets injured in the last Bayern game before the break. Looks like he might make it, and then they get another scan. They find out he needs surgery on his knee. Given the season or the, the the calendar year that Senegal have had, winning the AFCON, then knocking out Egypt. I mean, if you look at the last three to four years, this is the golden era for Senegalese football. And unfortunately, Sadio is going to miss out. Now, there's still a lot of good players in this squad. Edward Mendy the starting goalkeeper, but he's in pretty poor form at club level. So that's going to be interesting to see. Koulibaly is the, the rock of their defence, but he's also in poor club form. Um, Idrissigan and Czech Coyate in central midfield, very, very experienced, but... Both are considerably past what you would call their peak years. Up front, they're going to be heavily reliant, I think, on Ishmael Assar. But there's a couple of really exciting young players in this squad, Carl. Papa Matar Sar, the young Spurs midfielder, is absolutely tremendous. Uh, Bamba Dieng, the Marseille attacker, and the duo of Nicholas Jackson of Villarreal, who's kind of made his breakthrough this year, and Iliman and Day of sheffield united who might be the best player in the championship right now this is a fun squad and even without sadio they might still be quite feisty and and quite fun to watch
0: i definitely think they'll be a good watch um you know there's a lot to like about the sides i do like the way that in general it's set up uh crepin theater is another one i would pick out as Definitely a player to watch yes. the way the way he likes to play, he likes to shoot from absolutely everywhere and try to take people on. He's really aggressive and can play either side probably as well for them. But my big concern for for Senegal is where the goal's coming from again. There's not really too many dedicated um finishers, let's say in that squad, I mean even as Malasau, you'd say is probably the best overall attacker mm. left there. He's not that much of a regular goal scorer for them now, one and um, five for them? Yeah, so that, that entire squad that's left there now has 40 international goals between them. And mm. the two players they can't have now, Sadio Mane and Keita Balde, don't forget who's not there, who would, yes. be, who would be otherwise, they have 40 between them. It's yeah. a massive, massive loss. Uh, obviously, Mane is the biggest part of that. You know, all-time top scorer and very close to all-time most capped player as well. Um, they, they, they are huge losses to overcome. It is the finishing touch that I think is going to be the biggest difficulty for them here. I think it's also notable that with Mane being out, who they called up is another defender, Moussendei, who I don't know an awful lot about, but had a quick look at him. He's an uncapped defender. So whether he's just there for experience and they think he'll be good later on, or whether it's literally that they thought there was nobody else who they could realistically call up to impact in attack on the World Cup stage, unknown, but it doesn't bode all that well for what else is going to come beyond. I think we'll be looking at Um, idea to play a really, really big role uh, as a a potential centre-forward goal scorer even if it is off the bench or something like that. And uh, like you say, Ismail Assara's got a lot of expectation to take on now as well.
2: I had hoped they'd call up Boubacari Samari, who declared for Senegal earlier this year, was involved in a training camp back in February, but hasn't been called up since. The other injury loss they've had, which is another big one, is Moussa Niacateh. Who's, uh, you know, a good player Now he probably wouldn't have started anyway, unless he was playing left back, because, um, they do have Koulibaly and obviously Abdou Diallo, who's, uh, a very good center back. They have those available to them anyway. So I think they'll be strong defensively. A lot will depend on how Koulibaly kind of gets his head right and gets back into being the, the monstrous center back we've seen over the last six, seven years, rather than the guy we've seen over the last four months for Chelsea. Uh, in terms of the Netherlands, it looks likely that they will go with uh, Timber Van Dijk, Nathan Ake back three, with Matthias De Ligt left out. um Kind of the the crowning of De Ligt's rough time over the last three years, mm. even though he's been in decent form for Bayern. The question mark there at the back looks like who's the goalkeeper will be. Pasveer seems like he could be the favourite. But Bijla, the Feyenoord keeper, is comfortably, I think, the the best of the three they have.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was looking around as many places as I I could to look at the Netherlands' protected team, because the goalkeeper and who's going to play centre-mid as well with Frankie de Jong is my other question for them. Um, Loads of places had Dumfries at wing-back, which is fine, and you would expect that. I would really like them to play uh, Jeremy Frimpong right wing-back, because I think he's such an exciting player and really... Explosive, maybe he's one who has to sort of come into the side a bit later on or whatever. That's you know fine. It's wing back Denzel Dumfries does very well at that as well. Mm. Um, I, I did find uh, one. I'm not going to name them and embarrass them, but I did find one um, outlets, let's say, which had Netherlands starting goalkeeper as Jasper Silesen, uh which is very <laughs> intriguing since he's not at the World Cup. <laughs> uh,
2: I, I <laughs> Nobody assumed. was more surprised by that than Jasper Sitton. Yes,
0: he he was very excited for a few minutes. And Woke up this morning and it. saw the
2: news that he was in the team, and said yeah. his wife, "I better get to Qatar. I'm playing." <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I I think it's going to be year Um, mm. and we went over this before the World Cup. You know, the fact that he's playing for Ajax, he's finally established himself at 326 years of age. The fact that he's, you know, got Champions League games, relatively big games. Uh, title, fighting team, all the rest of it. I think that probably plays into his hands uh, at the start of it. But if they're looking for one who's going to be just like for for the next maybe three, four, five years, or let's say two, three tournaments, you would think they would go with um, Justin Bilo because age, obviously playing for Nord, may get himself a move to a bigger club as well, blah, blah, blah. The usual things, the big... The big qualifier here is that Louis Van Gaal is speaking in very, very certain terms about trying to win this World Cup.
2: Yes, Louis Van Gaal believes they can win this World Cup. He is very excited about the possibility of winning this World Cup. And that likely means he starts with the, even though he's the less experienced at international level, he's more experienced overall, Remco Passphere. Um This should be a fun game. That second midfield role next to De Jong is an interesting one. It could be Steven Berghaus. It could be Martin De Rune, I think, is probably the most obvious one to sit in next to Frankie. But Tane Miners could be very fun with his mm-hmm. passing ability and, and, and range. Um, right. Who? What is your prediction then for this one?
0: I'm going to go for uh, the first mad match of the World Cup and I'm going to go for 3-2 to the Netherlands.
2: I'm going 2-0 to the Netherlands and Virgil to keep a clean sheet because Virgil loves clean sheets. So that's that one. And then the final game today is the United States men's national soccer team uh, against Wales. The smart money here, I think, is on a Welsh win. Um, The US struggled through the CONCACAF qualifiers. The Welsh came through the the backdoor, second path thing uh, in, in UEFA. The Welsh will be, of course, heavily reliant on two players. Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey. If both of them play well, I would expect them to win. But is there anyone else in that Welsh squad that stands out out to you as someone to watch for this tournament? I really like Sorba Thomas of Huddersfield, but I'm not sure he's going to see much action.
0: No. um, I, I mean, I think whoever starts in goal at Hennessy and Danny Ward, and I assume it's going to be Hennessy now, I think are going to be... Exceptionally important for Wales because you know that they are going to rely on some big saves and big defensive moments for quite a bit of time in different matches. Um, I think as an outlet ball in terms of getting the ball towards Bale and that Nico Williams is very very important for them from a tactical perspective. And I actually think on the left hand side he links up quite well with Ben Davies as well. Davies does a good job at you know filling in behind Nico and, and they've they've sort of got a nice little understanding going on that side of the pitch. So I. I think it will ultimately come down to is Bale that fit and that capable of having moments, which he still looks like he is for sure. So that should be good for them. USA, I think Tyler Adams is far and away their most important player. He's mm. the one who keeps that midfield working together. Looks as though they're going to go with a 4-3-3 in the end. So him and McKenny must be locks to start. And then I assume Eunice Musa, but we'll see. Yeah, And then in attack, it is whether they go with all the skillful, technical, really good interplaying playing forwards, or they do go with the one much more workhorse sort of player. I, I still think for USA, it's really important to do the latter, which means to me that Josh Sargent maybe gets the start, whether that's through the middle or from the side. And then it's one of maybe Aronson and Pursic and somebody else as well. We'll see. There's still quite a lot, I think, to decide on that USA team, including whether t- Tim Ream comes from nowhere to suddenly start. Um But it should be a good game. I think this was this is one that both teams look at as one that they keep themselves in the running
2: for. Yeah, as a winnable win game. Both, yeah, I think they both sell this as a 1-1 draw, to be honest. Yeah, I've got a 2-2. I think this American team has the potential to be really exciting. Like, I know you're not the biggest fan, but he's decent. so Junior Des is a decent right back. If he starts, it might be DeAndre Eden, who's awful. Um, I like Robinson, the left back. I don't like the centre back options at all. Walker Zimmerman's okay. Tim Ream, he's in, he's in decent form this year for Fulham to give him his due, but he's still Tim Ream. Um, Matt Turner, I assume starts in goal. I, I think you're right in midfield. I think it will be Adams, Musa and McKenney, which is a very powerful midfield and a very quick midfield. And that could cause the Welsh trouble. And up front, like you, I think Sargent starts and it's kind of two from Reina, Pulisic, and Aronson. I would probably lean towards going Pulisic and Aronson. Aronson's in such good form that I just don't think you can leave him out. But there's a lot of good technical players there, and there's a lot of promise in that squad. It's just I think they've got an awful manager. I genuinely think he's an awful manager. Um, so I think this team will be well set. For the next World Cup where all of these players will be prime years or approaching mm. prime years and obviously they'll get the next generation coming through as well and hopefully have aged out. Well, Deandre Yedlin in particular uh, and a couple of others. But I think this is i think this is going to be a fun game. It's actually the game of the day that I'm most intrigued by.
0: Well, fair enough. I'm looking forward more to Senegal Netherlands slightly over
2: this one. Um, but I, think, I, that's, think, I that- think that's a better game. I just think this one's more interesting because I think second away. in this group is is wide open after England. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's it's definitely a game that if either of these really turn up for, this is
0: probably the one they look at. If they win, this is what takes us through. You know, we can mm. do enough in one of the other games against Iran maybe to to make sure that we get through. But you win this one, it's such a big step. It's it's a lot of pressure on the first game, and I think that there are reasonable question marks over both managers' overall ability, but. Rob Page has a massive, massive thing over the togetherness of the squad and what they've mm. achieved so far, and obviously the, the the world against Wales in terms of their size and everything else, and in-game management changes. I think Rob Page has proven to be more uh, impressive at that than Greg Berhalter.
2: Yes, and Rob Page has done well at an international tournament, uh, whereas Berhalter has shown himself to be just a bit crap overall. The Welsh have overcome the whole... Circus around Ryan Giggs, and you know, he was the manager, they lost him before the tournament, and all that kind of stuff. I like you said, there's a real togetherness in this team. Whereas I don't see it with the Americans because of Burhalter's decision to call up 600 players in the last 12 months, he has mixed and matched too much, and I think that's where they might fall short. But I think the talent will get them a draw today. So that is it. That is our show for today. Is there anything else you want to add before we go?
0: No, I've got a big piece on um, set pieces and the set pieces of the World Cup spoke to Thomas Gronnemark and set piece uh, coach Alex Clapham. If people want to do a bit of reading around the World Cup as well, uh, why teams are going to set up to be a lot more focused on dead balls for scoring goals and stopping them at this World Cup.
2: Loads of other stuff to come in the written word. I'll try and put one out each podcast. There we go. Uh, we've gone a little bit long today. It's the fault of one man and one man only and that is Guy Drinkle. So we will see you tomorrow it'll actually be guy and carl tomorrow though not me so take care of yourselves bye -bye.
1: we hope you enjoyed listening to this anfield index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically there's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show the best way to get in touch is over on our free discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest lfc topics 24 7